friends, Romans, countrymen, let me ears, ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. It is Monday, November 18th. This is episode 64 with Michael Kill. I wanted to say I'm playing some shows coming up in December. December 7th, I'm playing Fort Myers, Florida at the Fort Myers Regional Library. They're doing like a fandom fest and it's with Mega Ran. So check it out. We'll probably do some Dewey Decibel stuff. Uh, December 14th, I just announced I'm playing a show with Spoh's in Portland, Maine. It's the P-Dank Christmas. They do it every year, and that's his label, Preposterously Dank Records. So I'll be up there December 14th, and then New Year's Eve, I'll be in California playing First Night Monterey, which was a festival where I got my start when I was 16. My first band, Horace, played in 1998. That was my first ever professional paid gig, and um, I've played that festival a lot. I haven't played it in the past few years, but I'll be back with some of my original bandmates. So check that out. It'll be a cool way to finish up the year. Um, it's been a great year. Player Omega was awesome. That was a very fun gaming festival. We played the Warp Tour Gaming Festival out in California. Got to go to Russia. I toured with some of my favorite people. Toured with some new friends, Oakley Doakley. It's been a good year. And um, speaking of nostalgia, today I get to talk to Michael Kill. And Michael Kill just put out an EP called Terminal, produced by DJ Payne One, a mutual friend of ours. And uh, it's an s- album about the changes in his life, and it's kind of about his recovery from testicular cancer. So um, some of you might know that he had a testicle removed. It's not funny, but um, it happened a few years ago, and he's doing well. And so we talk about that on this podcast. We talk about his love for Insane Clown Posse. We talk about Earthbound. We talk about Firefly. We talk about how Thought Criminals, his band, it was nerdcore, but not. But we also talk about our love for indie underground hip hop. And it was really cool because Michael is a knowledgeable guy. And we're going to hear one of his songs called The Word Was Good from Terminal. So check that out. It's a great conversation with a great guy, Michael Kill. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Michael Kill, the legend of the thought criminals of many projects, a man who's been doing this forever, and uh, a man who reps North Carolina pretty hard. What's up, man? Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited. I've enjoyed listening to you chatting with my peers. So, <laughs> what are? Can I ask, what are some of your favorite interviews that stood out? The Lewis one was like the big one. The Lewis one, Lou is somebody I uh, am... Have, have been pretty tight with for a while. So I used to go just like stay at his house with him and his wife um, in New York. So listening to the podcast with you was like, it just felt like hanging out with him in his house. (laughs) And we haven't hung out in a really long time, actually. So it was kind of nice. That was one that particularly like immediately jumps out. I like, I like when people talk about stuff and it's not all focused on like your process and, and stuff like that. I like like tour stories and stuff. And Lou always has a bunch of interesting things to say. <laughs> yeah, he really opened up. And I think that one was almost two hours long. Like that was a in-depth one. <laughs> yeah. I don't even normally like normally I don't listen to a lot of podcasts because I don't uh, have long drives and stuff. I live like literally two minutes from my office and stuff. So like uh, I listen to podcasts mostly whenever I'm on my way to shows or on planes and stuff like that. So. Uh, I think I listened to that whole one in one 
go, though, which is really unusual for me. That's an honor. You know, my, my mom is a listener, and um, her note for me is always like, you know, the 45-minute ones I really find I have more time for. When you're talking for two hours, I'm like, all right. Well, so so for this, for, because my mom's listening, we'll not talk for two hours today, but maybe we, yeah. maybe we will, just in case it, in case we do. Yeah, that's fine if it does. I, uh, I tend to babble a lot, so it's fine. <laughs> I first discovered you through... Adam Warrock, who told me about Thought Criminals, and that was like yes. 2011. Yeah. So talk to me about that project and like, yeah, and, and talk to me about how you and Adam or Eugene first linked up. I, I think that's a cool way to start our conversation. Yeah, and that's kind of an interesting story with me and Eugene too. Um, so Thought Criminals originally started actually really early, maybe like 2003, as a rap project that was just me and this producer. Uh, and it was just a name I'd come up with. And it kind of segued into being the name I attached to a, a live band I had that had like a rotating cast of people in it. And uh, we do, we used to do like, we were the house band for a poultry night in Charlotte for a really long time that had uh, a lot of the poetry team from there would come in and do poetry and stuff uh, and stuff like that. So I, I sort of accumulated members that way, and I sort of had this idea that it was going to be like like what Wu-Tang Clan did, but with live instruments, which is a ridiculous idea in retrospect. But So I, like, I produced everything. I did all the beats and stuff, but I would bring in like one member of the band at a time to like play an instrument on each beat and stuff like that. Uh, and eventually I, I recruited this rapper, Sulphur, from Charlotte, uh, who's now one of my best friends, but... I had originally seen him beatbox on stage at a Sage Francis show. And uh, I saw, I had like a Google alert and somehow somebody who lived in Japan had told him about my music and we actually lived like a mile apart from each other. And Mm. like the Google alert went off and I had a MySpace post somebody had made about liking my music and it was sulfur. And uh, I reached out to him and was like, Hey, I see you're actually in Charlotte. Uh, You want to get together and jam? And that's sort of how the Thought Criminals became like what it is now. The Thought Criminals now is effectively just me and Sulphur, the other rapper in Thought Criminals. And uh, we have a live band we use that's the band that appears on a lot of my solo records. But Thought Criminals has basically become a duo project, but started as this weird live band thing. And um, so you, you and Sulphur then, the two main guys. Yeah. You've got only guys. Yeah, at this point, yeah, we're really the only two. Um We've we've been working off and on on like a new project with that duo setup for a while, but we haven't finished it. We keep like changing our mind about the concepts. <laughs> so we had like this big like proto men type concept thing we were working on that was all like uh, like what they call the outrun music type stuff with rapping on it. But I don't know what we're gonna do next. <laughs> Wait, explain outrun. Is that like a um- <clears throat> Is that a is that a Mega Man reference? Uh, Outrun is actually uh, it's a it's a game by Sega that is a racing game from the eighties, and the the music in it became this whole offshoot that's kind of like a spinoff of Chiptune, I guess. But it's like this whole genre of music that usually is kind of like proggy sort of stuff um, with a lot of synths and guitars, but it's. It's like super 80s sounding. It all sounds like it belongs in like an 80s horror movie or something. Like, <laughs> I ju- I'm looking at it on Google. It looks kind of like a predecessor to F-Zero a little bit. 
with yeah, the gameplay. Y- yeah, you could say, yeah, definitely. It was a, it was weird because it was a game where it, it was an arcade game, and you would go from coast to coast, racing from one side of the country to the other, and, but there were branching paths, so you would like choose which direction you were going to go as you traveled across the countryside, and the music would change. What's classic to us is now timeless. Oh yeah, I was super into I was super into indie and avant garde rap, you know, like Soul and all the like all the the Def Jux stuff, Company Flow before Def Jux. Shout out to Soul, what a great guy! Yeah, I, I love Soul. Uh, he was actually supposed to be on Human Disaster and my my like last real solo album, but we never could make the schedule line up. <laughs> but I was really into like uh, you know. Uh, even back into the 90s, like Word Sound, which was like Prince Paul's indie label in New York that had like, uh, yeah, that was like Scotty Hard. And you remember Mr. Dead, Metabolics? Oh, yeah, M- Mr. Dead. I actually have an interesting story about Mr. Dead I will not tell on the podcast, but I will tell you later if you are interested in hearing. His song Chemically Imbalanced, you know, with Paul. It's an automator beat, too. I talked to him a lot back in like the MySpace days, back and forth, but... He definitely probably does not remember who I am at all, but uh, I remember him. <laughs> he did he did B movie horror movie stuff for a living. He also did like uh, Prince Paul's videos and stuff. I think the way Prince Paul met him, if I'm not mistaken, was he was doing makeup on a De La Soul video shoot in like the early nineties. Like that's why one of the things I was looking forward to so much about this interview. I was walking around this morning, getting my coffee, and I was like, "We've been embraced by the nerdcore genre, but we're both kind of like." That's not where we cut our teeth. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's like um, kind of important with like nerdcore in general. I think it was true of like the avant-garde rap scene at one time. Not to like put him out there, but I remember Soul actually saying to me once, he's like, he was saying that people who were only influenced by their subgenre of like avant-garde rap were terrible. Like he's like all the people that only listen to us are terrible. Like the you can tell which people who were who are influenced by us, but also liked other rap first, and it makes a huge difference. Um, and it's super true. <laughs> were you a Grand Buffet fan? Were you ever up on them? No, I love Grand Buffet. There, uh, I have all of their EPs in a box right to the left. Actually, for a minute they were on the Nerdcore Wikipedia page as examples, but I don't think they they were they were the kind of guys who grew up on like the old school rap. And, you know, for a minute, almost got signed to Anticon and, like, were kind of, they were the dudes who really, really inspired me. Like, I remember I saw them open for Wesley Willis. And then I was, when I was studying in England, I went to see them with Soul, which is why I bring this up because we're talking about Soul. And they were just so freaking nice and so cool. Yeah. And they fit into every certain, like, I saw them with Sage, with Soul, with Wesley Willis, like, all my favorite acts. And... <laughs> Everybody toured with them for a while. There was a point where I had seen them more than any other band live. And this was like by like 2006 when I had seen tons of bands, you know, a million times. But uh, they toured with everybody in indie rap for so long that it was like you couldn't avoid knowing who they were. (laughs) And their live show was phenomenal. And I think they never made like they never made a record that reflected how great they were live. I mean, they never had that. And if they had and YouTube had existed back then. They would have been so much bigger, I think. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and they, I think they got screwed by their label, and that's why they kind of like went their separate ways because they seem like they're still cool with each other and stuff. Um, yeah, I know, like, um, Lord Grunge actually has a group with my friend Height, who's Dan. Keech. Oh, you know, Height, yeah, Height's awesome. 
I was listening to him. Uh, I was listening to uh, the Winterize the Game yesterday. Yeah. One of his old records. How do you know him? Uh, doing shows, man. Like, I was kind of like, I was one of the main people booking rap acts for a while in Charlotte. There's probably people who would be mad to hear me say that, but um, I was the one of the main people booking rap shows in Charlotte for a while, and somebody was just like, hey, you should do a show with my friend Hyatt because he's coming through, and like, I was already looking to book something else. So like, we just did a show together, and he it, it was one of the Hyatt with Friends shows, so he had kind of like a weird band with him. Uh, yeah. That wasn't a conventional band. It was like somebody playing a snare drum and somebody playing bass and like, you know, a weird configuration of people. But uh, he's just the nicest dude. And his live show is so good. And he, were you, have you ever been on his podcast? Yes, I was on his podcast once. It was one of my favorite podcast interviews I've done, actually. I need to listen to that. I, um, because he, he's been podcasting since like 2006. Yeah, it was In, intermittently. I think, I think my appearance was about, Three and a half years ago. It was right after I moved up here to the mountains from the Charlotte area. It's interesting, man. He's one of those rappers I've known about forever that I've been checking out his stuff I've been a fan of, but I've never met or never had any interaction with him. And it's interesting how in this small scene, we all kind of run in similar circles. And sometimes you never <laughs> meet someone until you've been listening for a while. Like Chesky, I, I recently connected with Chesky, and I've been a fan of his for a while. And I know you've done a lot of stuff with him, right? Chesky is... Uh, a friend of mine and a super great person. He's like, Chesky is a person who, he's an influence on my music for sure at this point. Like, there's no way I could not say that. Uh, he's definitely an influence on my music, but he's also like an influence on how like I carry myself and the way I interact with people. Cause he's such a outgoing uh, and kind person. Sometimes like whenever I get mad about something or I feel I don't know, some type of way at a show dealing with the staff or something. I'll think about like, what would Chesky do in this situation? And it frequently is not what Michael Kill would automatically do. So it's interesting because I know you as a friend and you're a very sweet, <laughs> optimistic, good guy, but you have a darker persona with your music. Mm -hmm. And it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Kill, you know? <laughs> this is actually something me and Travel and were talking about last night because we were kind of so, um, kind of like, to touch back on what we were talking about before, like I, I have a rap crew with uh, a, a group of other rappers that are considered nerdcore, and it's myself, Tribe One, Sulfur from the Thought Criminals, uh, Ant 80 from Dualcore, and uh, Cecil Nick from Autocorrect. Um, but we were talking about like when me and Eugene used to tour together, when people would get to know us, they would always say that Eugene's personality was like my music, and my personality was like Eugene's music. <laughs> that are like that our music were like each other's music were more representative of who we really were we, he comes up so much on this podcast like the mythical shooting star who came in nerdcore made a met big made a lot of noise and yeah. then dropped the mic and uh but affected a lot of people yeah like paul barman maybe yeah <laughs> but paul's still doing stuff i guess that's the difference i've heard stuff about him that he like really hates nerds and stuff <laughs> like there's a funny story friend i was telling me that um he was at some show it was like some something quest love had put together mm. and he was talking to paul for a minute and damien didn't know it was paul barman and paul barman didn't realize it was front a lot and they were having this conversation about art and culture and so finally paul <laughs> goes so what do you do and damien's like well i'm a nerdcore rapper and then paul just walks away <laughs> yeah that sounds 
That sounds 100% accurate to the things I've heard. I've heard he's got like real hangups about people calling him a nerd rapper and stuff, which is weird because like his shit is all super nerdy. Yeah. And, but, you know, I, I I definitely knew who Paul, Paul was because I worked in a record store in the early 2000s. That's also how I found out about Mr. Dead at the time and stuff. Yeah. There was a lot of like underground and indie rap. I worked at, at Camelot Music and I would just reach out to labels by indie labels and I would be like, Hey, uh, you know, I work at a record store. I would love to put some of your stuff in a listening point. Like we're a corporate chain, but I can control that at least in some management. And they would just send me boxes of stuff. So like I got the first year of Def Jux releases before they came out. Cause they would just like send me stuff. So labor days, fantastic damage. I had the farewell fondulum compilation on a CDR that the label sent me. Did you ever hear the party fun action committee? Yes. That had the Paul Barman parody on there. It was like every song was like making fun of a different indie rapper. Such a niche thing, but it was like, <laughs> dang. I made friends with this woman, uh, who worked at 75 Arc. The original Deltron record came out on 75 Arc. They had the coup. They put out the coup's record, Party Music, which is actually what ended up kind of like bankrupting them. The coup thing bankrupt them because it came out in 9-11, right? It was yes. them blowing up the Trade Center. I, I actually have that record. I have they. There's less than 100 that exist. And because I knew this woman at the label, I wish I had it where I could pull it out and easily show it to you right now. Cause some of the listeners might not be hip on that. I, I know they probably know the coup and that they've probably seen, um, sorry for bothering you. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Talk about, let's talk about that album and the randomness of that. The coups kill my landlord was on this list and it was because the label was going bankrupt. Okay. So, uh, and the kill my landlord is a record. Most people probably even coup fans have not really heard. They were supposed to put out this record called party music. And for people who don't know the coup are a, far leftist Marxist hip hop band. They have like the farthest left politics you can have, but their music is also super fun. They're not like Rage Against the Machine always sounded angry. The coon never sounds angry <laughs> like ever. Every song sounds like a party and that's, Part of what makes them so fun. That five million ways to kill a CEO. Yeah, it's That's like so a fun. straight up party jam. Yeah. <laughs> it's a straight up party jam. Yeah. So uh that song's on that record. The, the album's called Party Music, and it uh they sent the press release copies of Party Music to press on the morning of 9-11. The cover of the album is the World Trade Center blowing up, and the DJ, DJ Pam, who's a legendary female DJ from from the Bay Area that was the DJ for the coup until she passed away. Pam the Functress. Um, yeah, Pam the Functress. Amazing yeah. DJ, and she she did a lot of really cool stuff. But so she's on the cover, like, waving, like, conductor batons, and Boots Riley, the rapper in the coup, is pushing the button on a guitar tuner. So it looks like he's, like, pushing the button on the guitar tuner and it's blowing up the World Trade Center. So here's what's crazy about that cover is that, first of all, that the explosions are both, like, roughly where the two planes hit. Yeah, they're high yeah. towards the top, which is like, what the heck? Like, they probably regretted that after they got all the death threats and stuff. <laughs> There's that Jerry the Damager record, "The Sun Rises in the East." Are you familiar mm -hmm. with this? It's crazy mm -hmm. because the cover of it is the World Trade Center. He's standing in front of it, and it's in flames. And yeah, he it, that was '94. So it, wow, it, it's it was a year after the um, bombing with the car in the basement. But these rappers were not feeling the Trade Center. <laughs> Uh, you know, I definitely uh, listen to a lot of like political hip hop and stuff. So, uh, have you ever heard, you know who Paris is? Oakland cat. 
Yeah, he's in he's in Public Enemy now, I guess. But that's uh, right. With me, I met my wife in 2002, and like one of the first things we did, I had never really listened to the Clash, and she loaned me a bunch of Clash records, and I loaned her uh, Paris's "Sleeping with the Enemy," which has the song he did, "Bush Killer." That's about killing George Bush. Wow. <laughs> Pretty extreme. Like, got him kicked off their label. But that record by Paris, Sleeping with the Enemy, is the first appearance of DJ Shadow on record also because DJ Shadow provided the samples for that record. That's what's up. Oh, the cover is he's hiding behind a tree in front of the Capitol <laughs> building with a gun, and George is wa- Bush is waving. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, really, other than Soul, are there rappers brave enough to be doing stuff like that nowadays? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that you just you just know that you're going to, the yeah. NSA is going to give you a call. <laughs> and we're definitely, for the record, anyone from the government who's listening, we're not advocating, we don't advocate violence, right? <laughs> yes. No, not at all. So, okay. So you, so Thought Criminals, no friends. The, the, the Thought Criminals thing was leading to how we got called Nerdcore. So we got booked with MC Front a lot. That is how we got pulled into Nerdcore. You'd open for Damien, so you probably knew, you'd looked up and known about what he was doing, right? Or did you kind of not research it? Like, we got asked to do the Front Lot show or whatever, and I was like, I looked up his music in general. Zero Day wasn't out yet. It was, it was about to come out. Told my band about it, and my guitarist went and found that documentary on Netflix, the Nerdcore Rising documentary. Um, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And we had a band and stuff you know, ourselves and, and whatever. So that was interesting to me. Um, but so anyway, people started calling us nerdcore off of that at around the same. So we put out our album cold winter in 2011 at the time there was this dude, Adam Warrock, who was like blowing up. I did not know who he was. I did not know any of his music. Uh, but I hit him up and I was like, Hey, I have this song about earthbound and I need four MCs for it. Mm. And by this point I already knew Raheem, so I had already asked Megan Rand to do it. And I was like, I got all these people to collaborate that were like really big names in Nerdcore. You know, like I got Beefy and I got Warrock, I got Megan Rand. It was like all these people that were on the either established or on the verge of kind of blowing up. So I was like, if we're gonna be nerdcore, we're gonna like I'm gonna make a dent in Nerdcore like immediately. So I was like, I'm gonna get like Big names, and I had like this really concise plan for how I was going to put out the albums. Like, we're going to put out a really short record, it's going to be 30 minutes long, it's just going to be like packed, like with dope shit. Um, so I hit up Adam Warrock and I was like, Hey, like, I've already got Mega Ran on this song, and we need one more MC. Would you be willing to put a verse on this? And he, he, so basically, what happened is Adam Warrock thought I was much more famous than I really was. And I thought Adam Warrock was much more famous than he really was. <laughs> but we were both just trying to like get our foothold <laughs> as we like established ourselves in the scene. And that's how we ended up doing the song together. And we just did it as like he did it for free. Like I didn't pay anybody anything for any guest for that record was done on zero dollar budget. Uh, mixed and mastered it myself, produced all the beats myself. You're one of the rappers who does his own a lot of his own production and you produce for other people right yeah yeah you're like Um, asap rock (laughs) in that way (laughs) yeah i started playing instruments and stuff when i was in high school and started putting out tapes when i was like 13 or 14 that were like um i would do like these this like like folk punk kind of music that was like had hip-hop elements in it like i would 
I'd sample breaks and stuff. Um, and that's kind of like how I got my start when I was like 13 or so, selling tapes in the hallway at, in my high school and stuff. Of your own music. Yes. Cold Winter all Earthbound themed or just that track? Just that song. You know, people just, they'll just grab a part of the soundtrack and just rap over it. And that's like all they do to it. Um, or people will like sample, like, like a video game comes out and, you know, Eugene would do this, like, uh, something comes out and a month later you put out a song about it with like a beat sampling it or whatever. Whenever I was coming up, that was definitely not like cool. Well, it felt like too <laughs> much of a gimmick. Yeah. Or it felt too like easy, you know, like I always feel like, yeah, I feel like part of the, part of the process for whenever I sample and, you know, obviously people could point to shit that, I'm being hypocritical on this about, but like, you know, like when I did my DuckTales mixtape, there's a reason I got a different producer to produce it. I got Vince Vandal to produce my like DuckTales singles that I did. Yeah. When I broke up with my ex-girlfriend in high school, I I just literally played that game over and over for 24 hours, just like beating it, speed running it. <laughs> it's therapeutic. Like, it was such a. It's one of my favorite platformers of all time. I can just get on that game and I have the levels just memorized to the point I could just like. It's like eating a comfort food or something. Is the moon the moon level game song? Is that a, that's about healing from the breakup or might that music was really important to me as a kid? It was some of my favorite video game music and it elicits a certain emotion from me. You said something interesting, and then I want to talk about Earthbound. After okay. this, uh, you said that us OG, Def Jux bread, Anticon bread dudes <laughs> felt like doing a rap song about a video game, sampling the video game, and doing a video felt too easy. But that's how all the Gen 3 YouTubers blew the hell up. The dudes with a million yeah, followers. Absolutely. Because they just did lyric videos with the gameplay stuff. And it was great. Mm-hmm. And there were mm-hmm. no rules. Kind of like when Def Jux came along. You didn't have to just sample uh, George Clinton. You could all of a sudden, yeah. you know what I mean? Every generation redefines the rules. And oh, yeah. that's, yeah. And that's, I think it's cool, but that's interesting how you had like a instinct to, to not do that. I think uh, I've had people get mad when I talk about like limitations I set on myself in the studio. I have like personal rules for what I will and won't do when I'm sampling or even the way I record my vocals. I, I, up until, my last album, I didn't punch in on vocal recordings. All my vocals were f- like one takes. Kanye West style. I, I would re-record it over and over until I got the whole song without needing to punch in. So the opposite of friend a lot. <laughs> yeah, one of our mutual friends got mad that I said I did that, and I wasn't saying it to take anything away from what anybody else does. It was Schaefer, actually. On the fa- I posted about it on Facebook. Because he felt that Schaefer, was what, an unnecessary flex or what? Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think he thought I was trying to take something that I was saying that made me better than other people. I used to use a combination of a cassette four track in the 90s, which was like, for, for people who are not as old as us, a cassette four track is like, you had four channels, it recorded the left and right sides of... But all both sides of a tape at the same time, right? So you could overdub, you could overdub, like you had those four channels, and that was it, you know. So like that would the combination I used to use for making beats is I used the cassette four track, and I figured out how to glitch a sound recorder on Windows three point one in the nineties, and I would use those two things together in weird ways to make like the beats I made at the time. 
because it was all I had and I had to think outside the box. So I think like whenever you set rules for yourself and you, with sampling, with producing, stuff like that, when you set rules for yourself, you limit yourself, you don't give yourself an infinite world of options, you create situations where you have to think in interesting ways about how to finish Right, songs. the mother of invention, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. that's the yeah. whole argument where people, will, why everyone will tell you the episode four through six are the best Star Wars movies because he was, Lucas was technically limited. So he was able to be yeah. creative. I would agree with you, man. And I think that I, when I have like, like aesthetic limitations for my beats and stuff, they're better for sure. Yeah. I mean, I actually, somebody, somebody, one of my fans sent Capcom the DuckTales song. Ah, cool. And then they, they sent me a bunch of little DuckTales action figures that I still have somewhere. Are you serious? Somewhere in my studio. So they never, they never said it was okay. I did it, but they've definitely heard it. That's cool. And so it's like a metaphor for like being on the road feels like being. Yeah. It was kind of like it, like the intro to it, like the intro sketch. I'm like, this shit like feels like sampling the Beatles, but what better music to sample for a song about reaching for the fucking stars. It's so cool. That's hell. <laughs> That is one but, of your uh, most played Spotify songs too. I'm looking. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of my. It's one Holler. I do at all the shows too. So you know, uh, it's definitely like a live staple for me. Speaking of space <laughs> and planets, let's talk about mm -hmm. Earthbound. The story behind this song is a story that I've actually I've, I've got like a whole long thing I wrote about it that I've never actually published, but I'm going to tell you about it. This is great, exclusive. I had I wrote this song. And I had my band playing it. Sulphur had missed rehearsal. But so he was like, that sounds like Earthbound. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I mean, if you want to flip it into an Earthbound song, it, it had a lot of video game sounds in it, but I don't even know if any of the sounds are from Earthbound. I think everything is, is more like, there's some like uh, stuff I use from like Paperboy for like extra drum hits and stuff like that, but I don't think there's anything from Earthbound actually in the song, even though it's a song about Earthbound, which is cool. Uh, which is cool, cooler probably. Yeah, I like to. I like that it like flipped it in a different way. Like um, that was a, at the time. Like I said, I was using so much Nintendo stuff. That was also around the time, like after we finished Cold Winter and I'd gotten Eugene on Earthbound. Like he was like, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing a Brown Coats mixtape." Like, uh, do you want to do that with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. But I've never watched that show in my life. Yeah, because Warrock is a big Firefly fan. Yeah. Is it Joss Whedon? Yeah, okay. it's Joss Whedon. It's the only show of his I've ever watched, actually, other uh -huh. than like the Avengers movies. There's this war between like this governing bo body that's kind of like the UN, I guess, versus all these independent planets and the independent planets lose. And the captain of the ship in Firefly is this guy who was a, he was a, like a, a general in that war, I guess, or like a, he was a ranking officer in the, in the Brown coats that was like the independence or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so basically he's like a smuggler, kind of like a Han Solo type character. And he puts together this ragtag crew that, flies around in space doing smuggling jobs and stuff. Um, and it kind of just goes from there. It's mm. awesome. And it has like a really great, really great soundtrack. Uh, obviously I think that, 
But uh, it was one it, season. Only lasted one season. It, yeah, it's like less than. It's like thirteen episodes, I think. Um, but it's so 12. revered, isn't it? As like, it's like something. It is one of the most famous canceled, too early shows, huh? I, I think it definitely benefits from that too, because it never had a chance to get bad. You know? Did you ever read like the comics? Because I know there's. I I have. I've liked the comics. I've read from it. I haven't read all of them though. They got to. They got. I own all of them. I've only read about half of them though. That's what's up. Um, okay, so back to Earthbound because I remember I read. A, yeah. <laughs> I interviewed um, Blake Harris, who wrote a book about Nintendo's battle with Sega, and nice. he talks about Earthbound, or in Japan it was called Mother, right? Yeah. And um, there's three three games in the series in Japan, and only two of them have been officially released here. So what is the, since we're summarizing these fr- these classic franchises, <laughs> it's an RPG, right? It is an RPG. It's it's very irreverent. And it has a lot of comedy in it uh, in a way that a lot of RPGs at the time didn't have. And it also is a modern setting instead of being like a wild fantasy setting. Mm. But it also deals with like, psychic kids and going to other dimensions and aliens and shit there's just a lot going on in that game uh and i've made it as far as like this like cloud world in it on the first one is it translated in english i'm sure it is it has to be yeah the crazy thing with the first game first game was actually scheduled to come out on nintendo in america they completely had it translated and finished it was ready to ship they just decided not to release it they had already put the money into localizing it and stuff. They just didn't put it out. Um, so whenever they finally put it out on Wii U, it literally was just the game that they had prepared like in the 90s. Wow. And just never released here. It was pretty pretty weird of Nintendo to do that. There's this thing in Japanese culture about the special kid generation or like it's kind of like in Akira and Ghost in the Shell, the resonance of the atomic bomb and how that like has created a new generation and like the, the fear that comes from like what can happen and how like kids can be corrupted or how they can have this power to do destructive things. And like I remember reading in the book about how that manifests with the subconscious of Japan and why that game resonated so well over there and why, like you said, it was only um, one game here and not as big of a hit. And that like an example, how mm-hmm. the different cultures in Japan, you know? If Nintendo decides they don't think something's going to be a hit, it doesn't matter how much money they've sunk into it. They're notorious for just axing stuff. They probably knew it would have a different resonance. Um, yeah. A game I love that I'm playing a lot, even though I'm 37, <laughs> I love is Luigi's Mansion 3. I haven't bought it yet, um, but I loved the first one on GameCube. Oh, man. Uh, it's so fun. It's so, and it's so spooky and funny. And I love it. I love that everything. Nintendo does with their proprietary characters. You just know yeah. it's, and that it's going to be a hit and that's why it's like a testament to their like integrity as a company, you know. I played the hell out of the Wii U. It was like that console's way ahead of its time. Yeah. Uh I think in 10 years people are going to talk about the Wii U the way that they talk about the Dreamcast now. So people talk about the Dreamcast now like it was like this slept on system that did all this cool stuff before everybody else and it should have been huge. And they're right. I had a Dreamcast, and it was awesome. But that's what the Wii U was too. The Wii U, the Wii U should have been like a game changer. It was actually Nintendo's fault that it failed, though. They, it was a marketing failure. It wasn't a. It was a great console. Had a great games that came out for it, but it wasn't marketed properly. 
I dress as Luigi every Halloween and stuff. Like, <laughs> I always wear his classic 1984 colors with the white overalls and the green shirt. That's what's up. So you got to be careful where you sit, right? If you go to a party. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You just dropped your new EP, Terminal. Okay, so Terminal is something of a stylish, stylistic departure for me. So most of the beats that I do for myself tend to be like really 90s sounding and stuff. And this is this is an EP of me rapping over beats by DJ Payne One. And I, the beats are all like very, very much the sound of like Jay-Z around the time of the Blueprint, like the first Blueprint record. The Blueprint was the record that like made me a Jay-Z fan. So it's kind of like a something the ep is something of a love letter to that album but it also Mm. is like um me just trying to demonstrate like me flexing a style that people might not be familiar with hearing me do but that demonstrating i can rhyme well over those kind of beats and uh using those beats is kind of like a springboard to talk about a lot of different stuff like i talk about my cancer and it's it's got a love song on it that i wrote to my wife and uh I cover a lot of ground in four songs. <laughs> and Pain One is dope. I did a track with him a while ago. Yeah. I, li- I linked through him through Soul. Actually, one year Pain One came to the Nerdcore Showcase. You were there that year. He was there? Yeah. Oh. We hung out at the at the bar. I don't know if you know... Do you know Randy Greenback? No. Randy is a video games developer that is a mutual friend of me and Soul. And Ah, me and Soul had met a couple times. But we, I think we became more friends after um, after realizing we both knew Randy. Randy's really yeah. cool though. He's he's a dude that he developed like uh, some of the early Ghost Recon games, the Grawl games and stuff. So it was like crazy that this dude's like a friend of mine now that developed this game. Me and my brother used to play together all the time. That's so. amazing, man. But he he worked on Command and Conquer and a bunch of other stuff. But that's what's up. So he kind of. Uh, but anyway, like, yeah, I knew Pain One through Soul. And that one year where Pain One came to the Nerdcore Showcase was because Randy was there. Because I had Randy DJ for me that year. <laughs> Man, South By, so many good memories of South By. And you've been, you you go every year pretty much, right? Because you help work, you're one of the people who helps pick the acts, right? I used to be. Yeah. Last year, I kind of like, like... Last year, as far as I knew, I was helping, but then they kind of just like the communication chain broke down and stuff. So I don't help anymore. I don't know for sure if I'm even going this year. It takes a lot out of me. It's expensive. The stuff with helping was really, really stressful. It, It also resulted in like tons of people being mad at me all the time and saying that I was like blocking them from getting booked and stuff. That's a hard thing, man. Cause then, yeah, cause I remember you were kind of. What was Linda the woman who helped who helped run it? Yeah, Linda's the one who actually she works for South by. Right. Yeah, she knew that I booked shows in Charlotte and stuff. We met through Front a lot actually. Me and her did. That's cool. So I yeah, and I remember it used to be two nights and what these days is it just one? It was one. It was one last year. They tried to get two, but the venue fell through last year. Mm-hmm. So. There's always too many people booked, though, like yeah. every single year. It's like and it's, it's too many people on one showcase. It runs late. I remember the last time I did it, I got a 10-minute set. and like it's. It, but I love seeing all my friends, and I hope to do it again one day. But my favorite thing I ever got at South By was I met my wife, who played our show. Yeah. Okay, so at the time, I was making music with Claire. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah, and I think I'm the one who told Linda about them. Cause I was like, 
yo, I got this friend Claire and she's got a group and we should book them. And we were always looking for like more women to put on the bill. That was like always, that was always like an important thing for us. Claire moved to LA and then we quit ever working on anything. <laughs> but and for a while I was doing some beats and we were supposed to be doing a record together, but just never materialized. And they got booked with my friends that used to run the milestone and don't anymore. Uh, John Hughes and his wife, they have a, they have a group called Sext Message that mm. is like like a synth pop duo. So they played together. They toured that summer, I guess, right? Yeah, and I think I came to that show, and that's how I actually like met them in person for the first time. And then we just started talking from there. That's crazy, man. The scene has become a haven for people who don't do nerdy rap, but are intelligent, progressive people who it's very adjacent like i i think samus is another example someone who's like people in the scene like her and she does stuff with us and she refer her name is a video game reference and by my definition she's nerdcore just because she's in the scene but i know she wouldn't agree so like obviously i would never push that but and the first time i did a show with her i think it was me and adam warrock and maybe maybe jesse dangerously and her she uh she had like really bad straight Friday the first that time and we played a couple shows there over a couple tours and then she went on tour that tour with Raheem and man she like she grew so much it was like she came back and was just a monster like she was so good she's his K-flay I think it's really cool how the scene has really blossomed and yeah it's fostered the careers of so many people but it's also not really changed that much with like the good values and the friendships. If you're good and you're in nerdcore, then everybody's gonna like you're gonna be friends with everybody that's good in nerdcore pretty fast. <laughs> if you think of like America as like as as music, like okay. indie music, then indie hip hop is New England, and then nerdcore is Rhode Island. Progressively smaller scenes, so it becomes like and South by is probably <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But if you're good, your name's just gonna get around, and people are gonna see you doing stuff because, like, how would they not? It's like a it's like a local scene that where the location is the internet, you know, like yeah, totally. And and you, <laughs> and of course, if you want to like do well and grow, you're a New Englander. You're not from Rhode Island. <laughs> That's yeah. how you brand yourself. Um, <laughs> That's like that's yeah. the move that everyone who does well like claims, and so, uh, you, so how how you been feeling? I'm I'm good. Uh, so yeah, two years ago I got uh, te well more than two years ago I got it, but two years ago I had surgery to remove my cancerous testicle because I had testicular cancer, um, and uh, so that was pretty scary, not ideal, but. Uh, I just had my first or first scan in a year because my insurance is horrible. Uh, got my first scan in a year, and I have no, there is no evidence of cancer in me. They don't say you're cancer free until you had a couple of years or whatever, but mm. uh, there's no evidence of cancer in my body as of right now. So I'm uh, I'm good right now. So uh, that's awesome, dude. It was pretty scary at the time, though. On Halloween Day two years ago, I was going under the knife didn't get to go trick-or-treating with my kids mm. it sucked pretty bad and and i'd see i saw you i think shortly after at um magfest right yeah we ran like into two MAGFest. months after that's when bryce was like let me let me give you the healing touch or something and cut my balls or ball oh he did <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, Bryce. It was a very Bryce moment. We were at Anime Midwest. We were on the roster doing a panel. He gets up, gets on his knees, and relieves himself under the stage in front of the packed audience while we're talking. We're like, what's Bryce doing? I'm like, I know exactly what he's doing. Oh I'm not going to mention it. But he just... <laughs> his, 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 his theory. So... Real quick, do you know Pascal's ra- wager? Have you heard of this philosophy term? I've heard the term, but I don't know. Uh... It's the idea that Pascal's wager is that like God may not exist, but if he does, you may as well b- believe in him and Christianity because you'll go to heaven because you have nothing to lose, right? So his theory is like yeah, yeah. when the aliens come here, uh, you may they might not, but if they do, they want to whoever's peed all over the planet. They'll see as having being a dominant species, and they'll adopt him to come on the spaceship. So that's why Bryce freely urinates everywhere. I enjoyed your conversation with Bryce. Also, <laughs> that was another one that actually, now that you mentioned that, stands out to me. As we got into me and Bryce it. Are, we're very. I think mine and your politics are pretty similar. Mine might be farther left than you, but I think we're pretty similar politically. So I was definitely more on your side during your and his conversation. So I have a story about Bryce too, okay. and it also involves peeing. So uh, <laughs> that's funny. I I don't think he'll mind me telling this story. And Bryce, if you do mind, I hope you forgive me. So because I'm going to tell the story. So we played DEFCON together the past couple of years. I've done DEFCON with Dual Core for three years now. Um, DEFCON is like, a, for people who don't know, it's kind of the South by Southwest of hacking. It is a, a, like the most hugest security conference in the world. Hackers from all over the world come to Vegas for a week, get drunk, go to talks, and while out. Like, I mean, you know, you're, you're ostensibly at DEF CON to, to go to talks and learn things and network, but really what everybody does is get really fucked up and go to like party for a week. They call it hacker summer camp. You know, for me, it's a work trip because we do like five shows a day, most days. And we're like running from place to place. And anytime I'm not like performing, I'm working merch. So I don't really get a lot of time to do stuff at DEF CON like I would like. Mm. Um, Anyway, so we played main stage with Bryce, I guess, like every year since I started going. This year we show up and they're like, good news, Bryce, we're ahead of schedule. Like things are going really smooth and going to start on time. But what is happening is Bryce is currently on stage at the time. He's DJing for himself. He's wearing pajamas on stage and he's drinking straight from the bottle of Jameson. Mm -hmm. Faded as fuck. And he's wildin'. And so when we show up, the show is ahead of schedule. Our panel went late, <laughs> you know, because he had a lot to yeah. say. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, it, that was, I'm sure. He's a loquacious gentleman. <laughs> so he goes long. Uh-huh. He gets off stage. He's talking to me. And, and like, I, I'm looking for a new job. Anybody listening, I am uh, looking for a new job. I'd love to move move security side. I'm currently a system administrator for an academic publisher. So anyway, I'm talking to Bryce about that. Bryce is like, he talks to one of the security guys who's one of what they call goons at DEF CON, Mm -hmm. who's like a hacker guy that works for a big company. And he's like, hey, can you, like, my friend was looking for a job, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, excuse me for a minute, gentlemen. And he walks off. I'm talking to that dude. I'm not looking in Bryce's direction at all, but over... Frontalite on stage, I hear Bryce peeing. Like, 
<laughs> over the music in this huge fucking thousand person holding venue room. I, I hear Bryce Pink and the fucking security guy, his eyes just like fell. His face just fell. He's like, oh my God, tell me he's not doing what I think he is. He was and backstage or he was on stage? No, he was like to the left of the stage. There was no backstage. So just he's like literally the, the crowd is, yes. Pascal's the crowd's wager. like 15 feet away from us. Oh, did people notice? Because I noticed like when my theory, my thing when I'm with him and he's peeing all over the place, if you don't notice, less people do. You don't freak out. It doesn't. Yeah. What did you do? I didn't acknowledge it. The security freaked out and they ended up like making Bryce leave and stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was like, damn it, Bryce. Like, what are you doing, man? Uh wildin'. He was fucking wildin', man. Well, speaking of gangster <laughs> subgenres and hip hop as a fringe movement, let's end yes. our interview today talking about um, Insane Clown Posse and your oh, Juggalo roots. Should you have yes. them? Because I remember we were listening to Violent J's autobiography. You and Raheem were like texting about it. And yes. uh, yeah, what's good with that? Um, so, me and you have talked about ICP a few times over the years. Yeah. I think the first time we ever had the conversation was at South by one time. Like, on the roof of some club we were at. Yep. So, yeah, I got into ICP in the 90s. Uh, what record? It was Riddlebox. Had to be Riddlebox. Mutilation Mix era. Tunnel of Love era. Yes. Right. I, at the time, I wrote a lot of books. I, I actually was really into like writing fiction in the, uh, in the 90s and stuff. And I had me and this guy who I would we would write stories together – we we wrote this story about this like jester dude who like was like a murderer or something, and so like I don't remember if he heard about it or I heard about it, but one of us was like, "Oh man, I heard this band, and it's like kind of like this story we wrote mm. about like this murderous clown." Uh, and so we started listening to it immediately. I liked the beats. I. To me, I was like I had grown up into the Ghetto Boys and NWA and stuff, and to me, like ICP's rapping, especially on the early stuff, is so influenced by that stuff. Yeah, that it was like, oh, well, this is just like this is just a bunch of story songs, but instead of like street stories, they're telling horror stories. And it's above like, the law, you remember them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like to me, it was just like late '80s gangster rap, but just about like Stephen King concepts. Um, you know, like prom queen and and stuff like that was the stuff that like really caught my eye, and I liked the I liked the more melodic production they had. Yeah, but then they also had shit like uh, like Get Off Me Dog is it's fucking the sample in Get Off Me Dog and uh, the baseline in that I think it's I think it's the meters and like the original version of the Chicken Hunting samples the meters like they had these like dope funk samples and stuff, but they also had for the 90s stuff and then they had like a more clean like west coast sound like dr dre for uh for like riddle box and the, the later stuff um so i don't know to me it was just like well this is just more rap i like and it just fell into the mix and i really liked mike clark's production mm. like across all those records um so and i and i always enjoyed violent j's sense of humor right that uh Von J had uh, such an absurdist sense of humor, and that is very in line with my sense of humor. I love the absurd uh, and just the over-the-top ridiculousness. I loved that they – I grew up extremely poor. Like, 
like extremely poor, like windows in my bedroom. If you go back to my parents' house, the windows are busted out. The fucking there's holes in all the walls. Like I grew up in real fucking poverty, eating food from the hunger barrel, you know, shit mm. like that. So like ICP's story resonated with me because they were they also grew up really poor and they weren't ashamed of it. Like it was like if anything they bragged about it. Yeah, and so like that resonated with me as like a poor kid with a really ridiculous sense of humor, who was into a lot of nerdy shit. Who loved like, rap. Who loved rap. Like, yeah, ICP was like proto-nerdcore in, a, in its way for that. And whenever I got into, when I got into uh, ICP, there was like, you know, when I got the access to the internet, there was message boards. I used to go to Juggalo News uh, and Real Juggalos. I don't, that's like an even older site. I think that Real Juggalos and Juggalo News are Fago lovers now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It was like the two. But like I used to go to their forums and stuff. I have a quote all the time. Like people ask me like about like when are people talking about like early reviews of people giving you like scathing things they said about you. I remember on one of the Juggalo message boards, I had posted one of my songs and somebody said that I sounded like a redneck trying to rap with a New York accent. <laughs> Which is now a whole but, subgenre of rap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but like I I got a uh, I, I, those message boards and stuff like a lot of the people who were on those message boards back then what juggalos were was just nerdy rap fans. Right. You know right. The, like the place I heard about MF Doom originally was on a juggalo message board. The way I found out about so much progressive hip hop was actually juggalo message boards in the 90s. Uh and I don't think most people would like guess that you know like definitely from what public perception is of what juggalos are and stuff i don't think people would guess that i think it's a it was a venn diagram of the ones who were on the internet right because like they weren't all on the internet and like in jay's book he talks about he how he was rarely on the internet so yeah and they and it's his culture that runs so deep and it's persisted and it's now it's multi-generational you probably aren't checking for their new stuff these days or i am a fan of violent jay as a person. Yeah. Right? Like, he's, like, he is, like, I love Violent J. He is, like, a person who is not always a good person, but he wants to be a good person. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he actively, he actively does, like, he do, he really genuinely wants to be, like, a good person. And I love watching his relationship with his kids, um, how supportive he is of his children. His daughter is, like, really into being a furry and like he like Jay had a fur suit made and goes with her to like furry conventions and stuff. Right. And like I think it's really cool that he's like so supportive and not judgmental of his kids. He sounds like a Twitch streamer. Shout out to him. He follows me on Twitter. Shout out to Spida. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um uh I have all the Joker's cards on vinyl now, I think. Whoop whoop, you do. Jeez uh, Louise. You know what's a um, rare one and an expensive one is Riddlebox. Yeah. I did get. They did reissue it though, and I did get one of those. I think they did. Okay, I think I have Riddlebox. Um, I kind of want to grab them. Now. I can actually see. I have the JCW tapes. Do you remember those when they had their own wrestling league? The JCW stuff. I mean, they did the they did the commentary. Yeah, just like they did on Stranglemania, but it was for their wrestling league or whatever. Uh, but yeah, so I do check out the newer stuff. I do think it's really hit or miss sometimes whenever they try to do some of the like more modern rap styles. I can't really vibe with it. 
On Fred Fred Fury, you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't listened to Flip the Rat yet. That has a lot of cameos, which is cool. I tell you, I loved Twisted in the '90s. Yeah, and favorite Twisted record. It's either Most Tasteless, the original version, uh huh, or not the reissue that came out on Def Jam, or it's Green Book, one or the other. Both, both great. I would say Most Tasteless for me. Freak Show's really fucking sloppy and good because it's sloppy though, because it's such like a. It's like an accidentally punk rock rap record, like Freak Show. Yeah. I can't recommend Twisted because they say the N-word constantly. Whenever they recorded Most Tasteless, they actually had a black dude in the group, and I think that makes it like even worse. <laughs> like, wait, 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 wait. You're talking about, you're talking about ROC or no? Yeah, so, our, so everything on Most Tasteless on the original version was originally House of Crazy songs. And, and, and they, they just, just took out his parts? Yeah, and he even produced some of that stuff, to my understanding. Wow. They just cut him off it. Uh, but more than that, I saw their last tour that they did when they were still with Psychopathic. And that show was such a negative experience for me. It was a show where all they played was old stuff, and it just felt like they were phoning it in the whole time. Yeah. I, I saw them at Webster Hall in New York. They had seven openers. Yikes. That sounds excruciating. And then I saw them at Warp Tour twice because I played two of the shows they were on that festival. And um, yeah. they had a drummer and they crushed it. But they don't, the songs that have the N word, they don't say it, which I guess is good. But you're right. That's something that's that was different about them and ICP that like. ICP never said no, that. Like, no, they never did. It's like a. And they're on the right side of history for that, you know? Yeah. I think. Um, I actually watched an interview with them that was with Twisted. That was they were on Be Real's show. He has. I don't know if you've ever watched it, mm. but it's like a YouTube show. Be Real from Cypress has. Mm. Cypress Hill is like one of my biggest influences. The first two Cypress Hill records are part of the reason I make rap music. What Be Real does on this show is he sits in his car and is in a car in a garage, and they smoke. He smokes weed with people and interviews them. <laughs> And Twisted was on there, and he asked Twisted about, like, they hadn't said the N-word on their newer record or whatever. And he asked them about it, and they were like, you know, they were basically, they had the whack answer where they were like, we don't think it's bad to say it or whatever. Uh. But they were saying, we don't think it's bad to say it the way we say it, but we had fans come up to us and say it, and we were like, oh. And it like hearing their fans say it to them made them realize they didn't want to say it anymore in their music. So I guess that's some kind of progress, but uh, it still fucking sucks. I don't know. Madrox is like a great rapper too. Like I, I do think he's genuinely a really good MC. I met him at Warp Tour. He was um, and he was cool. He shook my hand. He was cool. I didn't meet Paul, but um, yeah. If they and ICP had able to maintain their friendship and like work out the business stuff and all this stuff with um, Jay's niece and everything and Ax- the Axberta yeah. boys, that they would probably be. As a collective, crushing it, doing more Dark Lotus, but maybe not. Maybe that time yeah. went, came and went. I mean, I don't know. It's weird to me with ICP's signings over the years. You know, like I mean, I have for the '90s stuff. I have like everything. I got the fucking Parallel Isla EP and shit by Misery. Like I've got all that stuff. Classic. Um, but yeah, so like Misery was like a, actually a good rapper though, and just doing kind of normal gangster rap. Um, yeah, it's kind of. I think pro- the like early Project Born stuff was the same way. Yeah, I was gonna say I love Project Born. Born Dead. They did like it was like the Fushnik and type uh, like 
tiggity tongue twist like yeah. raps all the time that those guys did. They were so young. Yeah, I love losing it. That song with Isham. Yeah, Woo. yeah. So man, I have the. I was really into hardcore for a while, so I have like all the early Isham stuff too. A lot of that stuff is reprehensible. I like. I, I guess I have to like clarify. I recommend none of this to anybody. <laughs> Isham is awesome. It's all stuff I would never say on my own yeah. records and that I find offensive now. Symptoms of insanity. Wicked Worldwide by Nada's record was my jam. Yep. There's so many good fucking songs on that record. Like I tried to watch the documentary about Isham a while back. His brother was like legit schizophrenic. It's called The Death of an Indie Label or something, right? Something like that. It is horrifying to watch. It depressed me so bad I had to turn it off. Why? I, I haven't watched watch it. it. It is so dark, man. Like his brother is, his brother has schizophrenia. Uh-huh. He made him his business manager, and they're living in like total poverty. And his brother's got like, like a an occult shrine built up, and is making everybody piss into buckets and save it and stuff because he's talking about the energy it preserves. It is fucked up, man. Like it is, it is bleak. Uh, yeah, it's dark. <laughs> like it's on youtube you can watch the whole thing on youtube it's produced very inexpensively isn't it yeah it's very so there's a there's a documentary about cage that is really similar ah. that is equally will make you not want to hear his music for a while that's what's <laughs> up it's like when i saw nerco rising hey <laughs> I want to say that I think Ouija Mac is ill, and he's one of their greatest new signings, and he was real cool to me when I met him. I don't love the weird like aesthetic he has, I guess. Yeah, he's their SoundCloud rapper. Yeah. I don't like the video where he's peeing on the women. I, I don't know if I can, I can you know, bump that on the way to the Women's March. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. And I think Big Hoodoo's great. The song The Yard. Have you bumped that? I need to actually listen to him. I've not checked him out. We met all these dudes at the gathering, and they were all so nice, and so it made me like intensify my love for them. And they were really Raheem was really like up on everyone, and hey, we got a good reaction. We played at like four in the morning. We're supposed to play at one. Holy shit! Yeah. We went on before the Mafia Six, which is their thing with Three Six Mafia. Yeah, the spinoff. And it was just, um, yeah, it was. You've never been to a gathering? I have not. Uh, I think Sean Sulphur has been to one. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things that whenever I found Sulphur talking about me on MySpace, mm-hmm. I noticed they had a Jekyll Brothers banner in the background of one of his MySpace photos. That's it. And uh, at the time, Sean had like a Hatchet Man tattoo and stuff even. If I had tattoos, I would surely have one. I don't though. I. But I'm just saying. I, I have like a skin condition where like I get really bad hives and stuff. So I actually can't get tattoos so i like this interview because we talked about your your history as an artist we talked about our shared fandoms mm-hmm. we told amusing anecdotes about our mutual acquaintances <laughs> that the fans will love because it's proprietary information <laughs> we, we talked about firefly and um earthbound mm-hmm. talked about deaf jucks i mean this has been like probably one of the most far-ranging <laughs> podcasts i've done and i love this dude i love it that's what uh that's what i liked whenever i've listened to you I don't remember which one it was I listened to, but you went off on you guys went off on indie rap stuff. It wasn't the Bryce one, and it wasn't the Lou one either. But I was listening to one of your podcasts, and you went off on a tangent with indie rap with him, and I was like, "Oh man, I want to talk about old rap with with Lars." Because uh, I don't know if you remember years ago, me and you. It was me, you. It was a it was a South by one year, 
it was me, you, Buck sixty five, mm. Jesse Dangerously, mm. uh, what a crew, uh, Frontaline, oh. Frontaline, and we had we had somebody else with us, and we all went and saw the Ghetto Boys and Eminem. We <laughs> we all went and saw the Ghetto Boys together. We saw the Ghetto Boys and Ultramatic Magnetic MCs open. Yes, sir. What and a show! It was such a good show. But we talked a little bit about the we talked a little bit about the indie rap stuff then and the old school hip hop that we grew up on even back then. I think they did Assassins, which of course like ICP covered later. Uh, but like Ghetto Boys, Ghetto Boys for me are like huge, huge, huge influence. Like that, that's like. Well, Z talked about yeah. your, the story going to the show with you two weeks ago and then remember we saw him bushwick bill had been in and out of the hospital so there's a part where remember he lies down like he's passed out like he's sick and they're like bill bill you okay he goes bill you okay and he gets up and he goes i'm a mother effing monster like a zombie <laughs> that show that we went to in charlotte that was me and uh, that z was there uh yeah stevie d from the illbots was there um a bunch of people were there but like they did the office space song uh when you know it's not the office space song it's you know it's actually their song but uh and i can't think of the name of the song it's the song that has die motherfucker die in the chorus because it's the one that the twisted actually references and you know what scar's face song i love is g code Ooh. oh god that's a great song g code's so great yeah you know scarface like he plays guitar and he's like a really good guitarist did you know that i didn't know that's ill he has a collection of like over 200 guitars and he owns one of Jimi Hendrix's original guitars. Ooh. There's a video on YouTube. You should look it up later. There's a video on YouTube of Scarface jamming with a rockabilly band in Houston <laughs> and just soloing over this rockabilly band. And Scarface, I mean, he's a huge dude, so he looks like he's holding like a toy guitar because he's so big. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there actually, Scarface did a tour recently where he had like a band with him and he played instruments on it maybe it wasn't recently maybe it was like two years ago three years ago but. you know what some of the best mcs are also like instrumentalists yeah he plays drums on the fix even Jeez, actually louise he's like flavor flav <laughs> yeah multi-talented <laughs> yeah scarface is like the johnny cash of rap he's like he's a dude that you can take equally seriously when he's talking about how much he loves jesus and about how he will shoot you like <laughs> like you when he says it, you believe it. He's the guy who brought lyricism and storytelling to the South. Yeah. People always recognize him as one of the greatest lyricists ever. He's Southern as fuck, and he's got that... He does not try to rap like he's from New York. He he raps like a dude from Houston should rap. Like It's just like... he got that yeah. thick draw, and he leans on it. It's so dope. I talked about Jay-Z earlier. The thing that actually got me into Jay-Z... This can't be life. Yes, that's it. I love that beat. And I love I love those verses. Scarface found out on his way to the studio that his friend's daughter had been killed. And he goes into the booth and he's like crying on the track, like while he's rapping. He like they said he basically showed up, went straight to the booth, recorded his verse and left, like without speaking to anybody. Just like went into the booth crying, recorded, left. But man, that verse is like it just like hits you like a ton of bricks. It's so good. I think Beanie Siegel says something really ignorant like in his verse, so I apologize for that part that you'll hear on your way to the Scarface verse. <laughs> I thought it'd be funny to have a cartoon character. It's like a bird that has a hat. It's a Beanie Siegel. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a character I want to make. Um, 
Speaking of ill classic verses, what track should we end with and perhaps something from your new EP? If you're going with something from my new EP, um, the thing that I've considered the single is the love song that I I did on the track uh, on there. It's called The Word Was Good. I like a good love song. Yes. I know the audience will too. Um, why, why do you spell your name the way you do? Because I always forget how to spell it. You know, it's funny. Like, all right, so my real name is Michael Kermit Hill. Uh-huh. And Kill is just an abbreviation with the K Hill. With the capital H. Yeah, when I put out my, and that's why it has the capital H is because my last name's Hill. So do you say, are, are we supposed to say Kill or K Hill? How are we supposed to refer to you? It's, it should be Michael Kill. Okay, that's what I've been calling you. Yeah, the spelling of Michael came from, my grandma gave me this book that was made by Reader's Digest called Who's Who in the Bible. And one of the Hebrew spellings of, of Michael that I remember seeing in that book was the way I spell it. And I just thought, mm. it, I just thought it looked cool, you know, like, um, but the kill thing, when I started putting out tapes in high school, like I was talking about, my first tapes were done under the name kill. Uh, and I spelled it that way. And, you know, I basically came up with kill because I needed a name in a chat room in like 1993 <laughs> when I was like on those like AOL chat forums at my friend's right. house when I was a kid. Um, so that's basically how I came up with it, and it just kind of like became my rap name. Uh, Frontalite gave me a lot of shit about my name when we were hanging out at DefCon. He was like, he was like, I thought, I thought they got hoisted on you. Chose that? I was like, your rap name is MC Frontalite. You can't give me shit about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, he thought who who would have hoisted a rap name on you? A label? Yeah. Well, you know, like people give you nicknames. You know, that happens. I see. I see. If I you see, don't right. like the nickname, you're about a hundred percent more likely that it will become your nickname. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> That's true. That's funny. But we all have pejorative names we've given ourselves in, in nerd rap. Yeah. Michael Kill became the thing. I had, I've had like other characters that came up with over the years. Like I definitely had a, I actually had like a hardcore rap project that we worked on for a little bit that I used a different name on and stuff, but. Called Twisted. <laughs> no. It was actually, it was called like, uh, it was named after a thing from Evil Dead actually. And it was. What's it? What's it called? Um, I don't know. I'm scared you'd find it. <laughs> well, I, that's why I'm asking. I'm gonna find it, bro. It might some of that might be. I'm gonna ask Eugene. I did like I had like a I started doing hardcore stuff in the '90s for a little while. Was it called Michael Myers? No. <laughs> there is a rapper called Michael Myers who misspells it, kind of like looks kind of like my name. Where do you like people to follow you? Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, Instagram. Twitter is good, Instagram is good, but you can find links to all of my social media accounts at my website, and my website is howcouldyoudothis2.me. But, and then your website is kind of old school, like Windows 95, yep. which is the setup. It's very, it's very dope. I really <laughs> recommend y'all check out his site, because no one puts effort and time into their sites. It's all social media. Yeah. Not Michael Kill. Yeah, well, I wanted, like, because my name is spelled stupid stuff, it's always, like, hard to explain to people how to find my stuff. So I was like, I need something that's, like, a phrase I can give people, and it's just easy to remember. Uh, So there's, like, a link on there that links to all my social media accounts and stuff. Twitter is probably – I'm trying to post more on Twitter and less on Facebook. 
Yeah, Facebook's evil. Facebook is a demon that destroyed, took our attention away. Facebook sucks in general on multiple levels. The biggest thing with Facebook is like the way it hides everything from everybody. It just, it's like hard to reach people whenever they don't get to see what you post. Unless you want to give them scroll and cheddar. Yeah. And even then, I used to monetize uh, my tour dates, put mm-hmm. like 500 bucks into that. And I realized, nah, that ain't helping. Yeah. Now maybe it does, but when it when they first started doing it, it felt like it made a difference. But the last yeah. times that I've done it, I've in, I've gotten no increase in any attention. Dropping ducats on these fools, but it's all good. You got to do it. It's like you got to brush your teeth. I got to post. <laughs> you know, I do have a video. I got to post on Facebook, and even though I have a lot of followers, you're right. It's it's just whatever. We live in a dystopian. Scary future. Yeah. That's what's up. So um Twitter. So Twitter, Michael Kill, <laughs> Facebook. How could you do this to dot me? And we're gonna end with a uplifting love song from Terminal, which is available everywhere. The word was good. And the words today were great. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Michael. You're been an amazing guest. I'm gonna we're gonna turn off the mic and you're gonna tell me those two stories. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, here's the song. We're gonna talk. Bye. But a static couple details try to turn the tale tragic, but I don't need nothing else. I already have it. Oh, you see it in my eyes, but I put it in the words so I know you know how I feel. You make it all worth it. I hope you see it in my eyes, but I put it in the words so I know you know how I feel. You make it all worth it. My own heart, you wrote your name of the cast The future banded in gold, blot out the dark of the past But the reality is, the past is always creeping But we're reborn in the present, each day is new people Language of love, stripped down of all the fuckery Almost 20 years later, still ain't had enough of me I'm writing lyrics on a plane, what am I doing with my life? Only things I'm certain of is my children and my wife Telling my kids, you know, the daddy's gotta go to work Doing shows across the globe, hiding how my heart hurts what the fuck is wrong with me? This is a thing I still do. One of the last limbs of a monster is cool. Do what we do. The truth is the truth. I am who I am on the job or in the vocal booth. You were you, my partner and my lover through and through. When the truth is I wouldn't be a thing at all without you. I hope you see it in my eyes, but I put it in the words. So I know you know how I feel to make it all work. So I know you know how I feel you make it all worth it.
The word was good. Thank you, Michael. Be sure to check out his new EP. And when that fool does shows, go see him because he's a great performer and a great person. Okay, we're going to keep it moving. We have the MC Lars Patreon, Patreon Martian of the, of week. the week. And this week, guess who called in? Brian from Cuckoo Kangaroo. He told a story about the time I spent Halloween night at his house after we played a show in Minnesota and all the candy we handed out. So, Brian, I know you have a million MC Lars shirts. You get a new one. Here's Brian's message. Hey, this is Brian from the band Cuckoo Kangaroo calling into the top secret hotline for MC Lars. I would call in as a favor because I like Lars, but I just love the fact that I could get a free T-shirt. I mean, I'm just so excited for to clothe my body in his logos. That's all I want to do with my life. All right, so I'm talking about MC Lars. We've toured with him many times. We're in a band called Cuckoo Kangaroo. MC Lars is just MC Lars, and it's a good combination. And he's a joyful person. He's happy. If you've ever met him in person, it's like, whoa, this dude just drank nine coffees of joyful espresso. So he stayed at my house at the end of one of the tour, and it was Halloween on that evening. So we come in. We're going to hand out candy. And it was so crazy. I had moved into a new neighborhood. We didn't know how many kids to expect. It ended up that we had like 75 to like 100 kids come that night for candy. And every single kid that came up to the door as Lars was tasked with handing out the candy, Lars would have that joyful, giddy craziness. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're a transformer. Oh, my gosh, you look so great. You're a giant ninja. And uh, it was a joyful experience to watch over the course of three hours. We had to go get more candy. And it was it was worth every penny because Lars was giving out the heat. It was nice. The kids loved it. It was fun to see him keep up. There was a lot of stamina. So, Lars, love you. That's a good story. Uh, it's not about a song because, um, I don't know. Should I listen to your music? All right, peace. Bye. Thanks, Brian. When I was in L.A. for um, Player Omega, I got to interview some friends, and I interviewed Brian from I Fight Dragons and Jordan Katz, a friend of mine who produced some of the Zombie Dinosaur LP, and he produced De La Soul's last record, and he's done a lot of great stuff. A great horn player, a great musician. He does music for Drop the Mic, that battle rap show, and he's a great guy. So we talked about his interesting career, and we talked about just what the music industry is like as a working musician in Los Angeles. So that's next week. Oh, and I've got my Iron Man one and two songs dropping this month, of course. Oh, and check it out. I'm doing some video game reviews on my YouTube channel. So if you're not subscribed, please do. And I'm this week I'm reviewing Divinity Original Sin 2. And I wanted to say I did a song with the Sons of Pitches. It's an acapella cover of... Butterfly by Crazy Town. And hey, I thought that might be a cool way to end the episode. So check it out. This is my cover of Crazy Town with the Sons of Pitches celebrating 20 years of a classic new metal jam. All right, thanks everyone. Take care. It's MC Lars and the Sons of Pitches celebrating 20 years of Butterfly. 20 years? By Crazy Town. Already? Oh, new metal acapella. Nerdcore remix. YouTube. That's what's up. Come, my lady, come, come, my lady. You're my butterfly, sugar, baby. Come, my lady, come.
come, come, my lady. You're my butterfly, sugar. Baby, such a sexy, sexy, pretty little thing. You slip up here, she got me sprung with your tongue ring. And I ain't gonna lie, cause your loving gets me high. So to keep you by my side, there's nothing that I won't try. Butterflies in her eyes and looks to kill. Time is passing, I'm asking, could this be real? Cause I can't sleep, I can't hold still. The only thing I really know is she got sex appeal. I can feel much is never enough you're always there to lift me up when these times get rough i was lost now i found ever since you've been around you're the woman that i want so you i'm putting it down come my lady come come my lady you're my butterfly sugar baby come my lady you're my pretty baby i'll make your legs shake you make me go crazy come my lady come come my lady you're my butterfly sugar baby Come, my lady, you're my pretty baby. I'll make your legs shake. You make me go crazy. I don't deserve you unless it's some kind of hidden message to show me life is precious. Then I guess it's true. But to tell the truth, I really never knew till I met you. See, I was lost and confused, twisted and used up. Knew a better life existed, but thought that I missed my it. lifestyle's wild. I was living like a wild child, trapped on a short leave, paroled the police files. So yo, what's happening now? I see the sun breaking down into dark clouds, and a vision of you standing out in the crowd. So. Come my lady, come come my lady, you're my butterfly, sugar, baby. Come my lady, you're my pretty baby, I'll make your legs shake, you make me go crazy. Come my lady, come come my lady, you're my butterfly, sugar, baby. Come my lady, you're my pretty baby, I'll make your legs shake, you make me go crazy. Hey sugar mama, come and dance with me, the smartest thing you ever did was take a chance with me. Whatever tickles your fancy, girl, me and you's like Sid and Nancy. So sexy, almost evil. Talk about butterflies in my head. I used to think that happy endings were only in the books I read. But you made me feel alive when I was almost dead. You filled that empty space with the love I used to chase. And as far as I can see, you don't get better than this. So, butterfly, here is a song, and it's sealed with a kiss. And a thank you, miss. Come and dance with me. Come and dance with me. Come and dance with me. So come and dance with me, uh-huh, uh-huh Come my lady, come, come my lady You're my butterfly, sugar, baby Come my lady, you're my pretty baby I'll make your legs shake, you make me go crazy Come my lady, come, come my lady You're my butterfly, sugar, baby Come my lady, you're my pretty baby I'll make your legs shake, you make me go crazy Come my lady, come, come my lady You're my butterfly, sugar, baby Come my lady, you're my pretty baby I'll make your legs shake, you make me go crazy Come my lady, come, come my lady You're my butterfly, sugar, baby Come my lady, you're my pretty baby I'll make your legs shake, you make me go crazy Come and dance with me, yeah Come and dance with me Come and dance with me, yeah Come and dance with me, uh-huh, uh-huh Come and dance with me, yeah Come and dance with me Come and dance with me, yeah, come and dance with me. The Sons of Pitches and MC Lars, doing those referential songs that are joyful and surprising. Thanks for listening.